0: Hey, before we get too far into our prayer week, I just wanted to let everybody know, and he didn't know I was going to do this, we've got a celebrity in the house tonight. I don't know if you knew, we have a backup goalie for the Arizona Sundogs for this past week, right in the back row. Nick Casson, would you stand up? Very cool, very cool. Yeah, you get autographs after the service. One of the things I told them this morning, we went out with one of the missional communities and reached out to some of the homeless people in Prescott on the square and in Granite Creek Park looking to share the saving gospel of Jesus with them. And I said, hey, man, it's, it's nice to have a goalie along because they know all about saves. You know? <laughs> they, they, yeah. they laughed about that hard too. I said... <laughs> hey, you know, one of the cool things about Jesus that I... That I uh, appreciate when I look at his ministries, there were a couple of times where, where he did things with such power and such authority that people stood back and looked and said, whoa, there is something different about this one. You remember it happened once when he was teaching. It says some of the people in the crowd were in awe because he taught, not like the scribes and the Pharisees, but he taught as one who had authority. And of course he did, being God in flesh. Another time that some of his disciples stood back and took notice was when he prayed. Luke 11 tells us about a time that Jesus was praying. And I, I, I just, could you imagine being a disciple sitting by while, while Jesus was talking to his father? I mean, they're sitting there watching him. And you remember what they said? They said, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to talk to the father like that. And in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, this is what his response was. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom of God and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Now, over the years, this has come to be known as what? The Lord's Prayer. Prayer. What's kind of interesting about that is this is a prayer that Jesus himself never could have prayed. You know why? Forgive us our debts or our sins. This wasn't Jesus' prayer to the Father. He was setting out a pattern or a model of prayer for us. He said, after this manner, you shall pray. And while it's okay to memorize it and say it exactly as it is, I don't think what he was doing was limited to that idea. He's saying there's some basic principles in what I'm about to show you that you ought to include in your prayer life. And while the words may change depending on what season of life you're in, what you're going through, this is the pattern that your prayer life ought to be patterned after. And what we're going to notice tonight, and this is our prayer night, we have prayer night at the church next door because I believe, if you look at Acts chapter 2, you see an early church that was devoted to the Word of God, but they were also devoted to other things. They were devoted to prayer. Uh, They were devoted to fellowship. They were devoted to praising God and breaking bread. So we're trying to reflect that here, and I can't help but shake this idea that what would happen if we had a whole church of people excited about praying to God? Because when you see, amen, when you see that in the book of Acts, you see people coming together into a room, praying, and then the presence of God shaking that room, and them going out and preaching the word of God boldly. I don't believe God's done. The same Holy Spirit is alive today that was alive in the book of Acts. And I want to see that in our church. I want to see him shake us. So what we're going to do is I'm going to talk about the two halves of the Lord's prayer. And in between there, we're going to have some worship. And we're going to give you guys some chances to pray, to cry out to to God, and you can do that on your own in these rows. If you'd like to do it with some other folks, Stephen Vergier in one of those circles back there, there's another circle back there, but we just want to practice what we're talking about tonight. But I told you the the prayer came in two major divisions. Andrew, if you pull that next slide up, Uh, the first one is God and His glory. We're going to see that the first three petitions in this prayer are all about God and his glory. We're going to look at those, and then we're going to pray to God about his glory. And the second three petitions that we're going to look at later and then pray is us and our needs. And I look at this pattern, and, and I just want to say something. Something, I don't know how many of you guys are are in tune with the worship debates that sometimes go on between churches. So, you know, there's this huge unnecessary battle between do, do we only do hymns or do we do the new things? When I think, really, can't we all just get along? There, there were great songs written hundreds of years ago. There are great songs being written today. But one of the things I notice in that discussion is sometimes people will throw bombs at the, the songs of today and say, they talk a lot about us and our needs. And I'm looking at Jesus' pattern for prayer and seeing that half of it is devoted to us and our needs. We need God. God and Jesus acknowledge that in the Bible. There's nothing wrong with crying out to him about our needs, whether it's in song or in prayer. But I think we also need to realize that before he ever gets there, not yet, Andrew, um, before he ever gets there, (laughs) not before Andrew gets there, though. (laughs) I thought the Holy Spirit was supposed to lead this thing, Andrew. (laughs) Just kidding. Before he ever gets to us and our needs, he zooms in on God and his glory. And that's exactly what you and I need to do in our prayer lives as well. Us and our needs have a place because we have needs. But let's start with God and his glory. And I'm going to start with the first of three requests. The first part of this prayer talks about our relationship to God. And it's just that simple phrase, our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. And I think... There's so much packed into such a little phrase there. One of the things I see is that all prayer is based on having a right relationship with God. It starts there. That's the bottom line. You don't have a relationship with God. You, you don't have prayer. You're not God's child. You, you don't have prayer. And there's some that would say, well, aren't we all God's children, every one of his creations? Because didn't Paul say in Acts seven twenty eight that that we're all his offspring. And Paul did say that, but he said that in the sense that we're all his creation. That's true, we're all his creation. But from a biblical perspective, he is not a father to all of us. Now, I don't know what that does to your heart. If you're one of his children that's trusted Jesus, it ought to make you thankful that he is your father If you know folks that have not trusted in Jesus, it ought to make you desire to bring Jesus to them because fatherhood implies paternity, one responsible for one being born. And in this case, as it said in John chapter 3, one being born again. How do you do that? Galatians 3.26, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. That's the only way we become children of God, faith in Christ Jesus. It's the only way he becomes our father. What ideas are captured in this father word? What all does that mean? Because I think that's a, it's always been a big word, but especially today in the history of our country, fatherlessness in homes is skyrocketing. You look at the percentage of families where there's not a father at home due to divorce, or other circumstances due to just an immoral lifestyle where a guy's hopping from family to family to family. There's a larger percentage in our country of families without fathers in the home than ever before. But as is often the case, what is an epidemic in our society also becomes a great opportunity for us in the church to preach to them, to speak to them, to live life to them, to fill that gap to show those kids love and also tell them about a God who longs to be a father to the fatherless. That starts when you and I understand and appreciate what it means that he's our father. And the closest we get to that is when we see Jesus praying on his own in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he says, Abba, Father, Abba, Father. And you all know what that means. That means daddy, daddy. And that means you and I, Get to go to him as our daddy, as a father that we trust and know and love. We get to crawl into his lap and and pour out our lives to him. And he cares for us. So I want to ask you, is God your father tonight? And if he is, if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, have you been living in that reality that, that he's your father? That he loves you as a father. Or have you sort of forgotten how special that relationship is? So that's the first one that deals with God and his glory. Our Father in heaven. The second one, hallowed be your name. That word hallowed is only used two times in the New Testament, and both times it's in connection with God's name. You know what it means? It means to revere his name as holy, as set apart, to acknowledge that he is almighty God. When we talk about God's name, you know, God makes himself known in many ways. He makes himself known through his creation. He makes himself known through the scriptures. He primarily made himself known through Jesus Christ. But we also learn about who God is through his many names. What are some of your favorite names of of God the Father? Just shout them out. Anybody got a favorite that you love to hold on to? Rock? El Shaddai, Jehovah-Jireh, the God who provides. I'm sure you all got names flowing through your mind. Those are another way we get to know who God is. So when it talks about his name, names aren't just some trivial thing that we do the eeny, miny, mo" thing when we have a baby at the hospital. In the Bible, names are closely connected to someone's character. You know, it shows their nature. So when we look at God's names, we learn who he is, and that name Is holy. And I wonder if we today still have a view of a holy God or if we've gotten way too comfortable, if we've gotten kind of flippant and and casual in the way we talk about him and the way we live. He is a holy God. His name should be hallowed, revered. And I think sometimes we look at what goes on out in the world and we rightly flip out inside when we hear someone use his name in vain. You know, they say, oh, my. Or even today, I see OMG on Facebook all the time. And, and we read that, and we say, man, they're, they're just taking the Lord's name in vain. And hopefully, we're not doing that in here. But, you know, it's, it's almost more tragic or as tragic when those of us who trust in Jesus, who would never necessarily say those things... We come in here and, and we say his name, we sing it in song, we recite it in scripture, but our lives reflect an altogether different reality. So I believe that's taking his name in vain every bit as much as saying OMG or Oh My. And G. G Campbell Morgan, a preacher from years ago, said it this way. He said, I'm more afraid of the blasphemy in the sanctuary than the blasphemy of the street. That's what he was talking about when God's people who sing his name on Sunday go out there and live a totally different way during the week because we should revere it as holy not only in our words but also in our very lives. I got just a taste of what revering something looked like. The first time I met the Sundogs, I, I told you in addition to Nick being their backup goalie, I got to be their chaplain this year and the first time I went in there they said, hey, you want to see the locker room? And my chaplain coach had told me, never go in the locker room, because that's, like that's like their kingdom, man. You don't go in there. That's theirs, you know. Even. But they invited me, so I was like, okay. I haven't told my chaplain coach I went in there yet. But um, <laughs> I walked in there, and I'm just walking through, and the first thing the guys do is, no, stop. Stop. Don't step on the S. And I looked down on the ground, and there was this giant red S for the Sundogs logo. And they said, we never step on that. (laughs) I said, I'm sorry. I almost, like, blasphemed their locker room, you know? You think about how they revered that S. And I thought, man, they, they take that pretty serious. I wonder how many of us take God that seriously. You know, they do that about a silly S on the carpet. We're worshiping the God of the universe. Do we have anywhere near that same kind of reverence? Don't, don't step on him. Don't live against him. Don't speak against him because I love him. I love him. Do we have that kind of reverence for God? The third one is our uh, resignation to God. and I know resignation has sort of a weird connotation today, like I'm signing off from my job, but... Resi- Resignation means my willingness to submit to someone. Resignation to God. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, there are two kingdoms in the world. There's the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. There's no other kingdoms than that. And everybody's living in one of those two kingdoms. That's what we read from a biblical perspective. We're, we're all ruled by one of those kings or the other, God or Satan. And from a biblical perspective, when someone believes in Jesus Christ, they're transferred from Satan's kingdom into the kingdom of God, right? That's what it means in Colossians 1.13, for he who has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. I think about this concept of the kingdom of God. I think it's one of the more easily confused concepts in Scripture. When I think about it, you know what I think about? I think about that candy now and later. I don't know. When I was growing up, I used to go to camp all the time. Anybody else like now and laters? Has anybody had them? You guys (laughs) feeling really weird right now. I went to the weird camps. I'm with you, buddy. Yeah, you, they, they're called now and laters because you enjoy them as soon as you put them in your mouth. But like 45 minutes to an hour later, they're still in there and they still taste good. They, they, you enjoy them now and you're going to enjoy them later. In fact, their, their slogan was hard and fruity now and soft and chewy later. It's the candy that keeps on giving. And while God's kingdom is not hard and fruity now and soft and chewy later, that, that now and later part is where I'm going. There's a sense in which God's kingdom is now. It's now, and I get that from what Jesus says in Luke 17, 21. The kingdom of God is within you. He said that to the people that were following Jesus. Those of us who believe in Jesus, the kingdom of God is within us. It's wherever God's being obeyed. So if we're obeying God in our lives, the kingdom of God is within us. When it says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, that's what it's talking about. When we seek to obey God's rule in our lives, the kingdom is alive within us. And so we need to ask ourselves, what does it look like to obey God as our king in our neighborhoods? What would it look like if the kingdom touched down in my neighborhood, in my workplace, in my missional community? And you could go on and on. What would that look like if God's priorities became mine in all those places? In another sense, it's still future also. You guys ever heard of the millennium? That someday Jesus Christ is going to return. He's going to set foot on this earth, and he's going to set up a literal 1,000-year reign where his will will be done throughout this whole earth. Satan will be locked up, and Jesus will be king. And I just love the sound of that because I don't care who, you, who you're going for in the upcoming election. When it compares to Jesus, we're just settling. <laughs> Even the best, you know, they they pale in comparison to the ruler who's one day going to set up his kingdom here on this earth. Amen? And I think of the second to last verse in the Bible. It says, even so, come Lord Jesus. And I wonder if that's the prayer of our hearts. Are we longing for that day when Jesus comes back? When he's going to set up his kingdom uh, the way it should be? And I want to close that section by just saying, is God your king? And then to ask the question, if we say, yes, are we, are we living like it, like he's our king? And are we looking forward to that day where he's going to set up his kingdom? We said that first part was about God and his glory. And the second half of this prayer, Jesus shows us how to pray for, for ourselves and our needs. The first part of the second half is a request for provision. And you guys know this part Well, it's give us this day our daily bread. And what this request shows is dependence upon God. But sometimes I wonder how dependent we really believe we are. And we most of us have full freezers and full pantries and and full refrigerators, which are great blessings. But one of the risks of being so well provided for is that we forget how dependent we are. I mentioned that this morning, a missional community went out to talk to the homeless folks in Prescott. And there was one conversation where a few of us sat down at the, the square at a picnic table. There were three guys there. Cajun was one of their names, Marshall, and Donald. And we sat down with them and just started small talking. We had prepared these provision packs with chapstick and band-aids and and toothpaste and toothbrushes and socks and asked them if they wanted any of those. And as we sat down there with them, they said, Yeah, come on, sit down. We we got to talking, and they told us they had all been veterans and uh, told us a little bit of their stories. Iraq, uh, Bosnia, and Vietnam. And after we listened for a while... We just said, hey, is there any way that we could pray for you guys? And at first they're like, oh, no, I can't think of anything. And so we said, well, hey, thanks for letting us hang with you for a little bit. And we got up to walk away, and then Marshall reached out, and he said, hey, I, I, I do want you guys to pray for us. Could you please pray that we'd find places to stay warm? And I thought, you know, there are some guys that realize They're dependent upon God. They're asking for prayer to stay warm. And they also all knew very well that at 12 o'clock noon, there's a group downtown called Common Grounds that provides a meal. And they all knew that we better be there at 12 o'clock if if we want to eat. We're dependent upon that meal. They realized how dependent they are. But I got to thinking no no matter what kind of house we live in, no matter how full our refrigerator is, no matter how well our job provides for us, you and I are every bit as dependent upon God as they are. We just forget. We get deluded into thinking we got it. Like, we can provide for ourselves, but, you know, our, the minds that God's given us to work and think through things so that we can work, those are gifts from God. We're, de- we're dependent on Him for, for those minds to work, the hands that we have that help us work. We're dependent upon him to help those keep working. The feet that we have, the legs that we have that help us get there. We're completely dependent upon God, but I wonder if we pray like we are or if we think really, at the end of the day, we sort of got it. Now something else I notice in here, he says, give us today our daily bread. And I think about this life-giving, freedom-giving instruction that Jesus gave us all, but I wonder how often we take advantage of it. I think this would free us up so much. We think of this as a command. I see it as a privilege, a, a present from Jesus. Matthew 6, 34, he says, Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Why do we pray for daily bread? each day has enough trouble of its own. And I wonder how many of us take advantage of that promise. Say, hey, I can live in the present. Trust God. And I don't have to have control over the whole rest of my life because he's got it. He's got it. How much would that free us up? Last thing in there, he says, our daily bread. You notice that encompasses the people around us. It's not just my daily bread. When I pray, if I pray the way Jesus wants me to, I'm thinking about the needs of the people around me, regularly asking God, provide for their needs too. And if you, if you wish, let me be a part of that. I'll, I'll take that step and say that. Because John says we don't love in just words, we love in action and deeds. Our Daily bread. So I wonder, is this a group of people in here that are depending on God for our provisions? I hope so, because he extends that opportunity to us. The next one is a request for pardon. Forgive us our debts or sins, as we also have forgiven our debtors. We said this is why Jesus could never pray this prayer, because he was the sinless one. You and I need to pray this prayer regularly. But I wonder how many times we do because we believe the biblical truth that once we trust in Jesus, our sins are forgiven. We have a right standing with God and there is nothing on this earth, including our stupidity, that can shake us out of that right standing with God. So why does Jesus tell us to pray this? He tells us because he knows that even though our standing with God is secure, you and I can miss out on the privilege of enjoying closeness with our Father if we continue to live in sin as his children. We can compromise that joy, that peace, that power that's available to us when we refuse to agree with him that what we're doing is wrong. That's why in 1 John it says to believers... If we confess our sins, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. There's some of us in here that know we got right standing with God, but it's been months and years before we've confessed anything to him. And we wonder why we don't feel any peace in our lives. We wonder why we don't feel any joy. We wonder why there's this lack of power. And I hear Jesus saying in here, keep short accounts with your Father. I believe if you're like me, we need to pray this prayer in some way, shape, or form at least daily, if not hourly, (laughs) if not on the half hour, (laughs) and we could keep going. You know, we want to keep these short accounts with our Father so that we can enjoy the privileges of that relationship. So I wonder if it's been a long time for any of us in this room since we've prayed this prayer, since we've agreed with God that anything we're doing is wrong. Not to get that right standing, because that's covered if we trust in Jesus, but just to line up with Him again and say, yeah, I'm on, I, I agree with you on this, and I want to be close with you, Father. Finally, uh, the third one is a request for protection. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I think about this one, and it's sort of like the first one, Give Us This Day Our Daily Bread. It it acknowledges that we are very dependent upon our Father if we're going to overcome the temptations in our lives. We acknowledge that we need his help because we can't do it on our own. We have a great tendency to rationalize in our lives. And we're usually the last ones to see it. People around us can see it and others can see it. But how often do we get into situations we're starting to cross a line and, and maybe at first it bothers us, but then we get used to it. And we're telling everybody, hey, I'm fine. We're not calling out to God to help us. And what happens? We fall and we fall hard. We need to pray, God, lead us not into temptation. And it's not that God ever tempts us. James makes that clear. It's basically, God, don't permit us to be led down that path. And yet we know, even as we pray that, the Holy Spirit led Jesus straight into the teeth of it, right? But, but what did he do? He gave him the power to overcome it. He gives us the same power if we're depending on our Father. In the power of the Spirit. Now, the second part, deliver us from the evil one. I think about this, and I wonder how many of us really believe in spiritual warfare anymore. I hope so. Rick Santorum nearly got laughed off the stage because he said the word Satan. That's the culture we live in. You talk about Satan, you get laughed out of the room because most of the world doesn't believe in Satan. But when I read this Bible, you can't help but see it. It was driven home on Monday, 60 miles from where I grew up in Chardon, Ohio. You guys know the story. 17-year-old kid, T.J. Lane, walked in there, shot up the cafeteria. Three kids dead, two more injured. And they said he was a pretty quiet kid, pretty normal for the most part, until about December 30th. They, They said there was a poem on his Facebook page. I want you to read what this poem says, and you tell me where it came from. I know what I think. His post uh, referred to a quaint, lonely town, quote, where there sits a man with a frown who longed for only one thing, the world to bow at his feet. He was better than the rest, all those ones he detests within their castles so vain. He then writes about going through the castle Like an ominous breeze through the trees, past guards, all leading up to the conclusion where he writes, feel death, not just mocking you, not just stalking you, but inside of you, wriggle and writhe, feel smaller beneath my might, seizure in the pestilence that is my scythe. die all of you. And after he got three positive reviews, he said, much obliged to all who like this. Wrote it myself in class one day. And I read that, and, and I hear a young boy that believes he wrote it himself, but I believe it came straight from the heart of Satan. There is a battle going on. And if God's church isn't serious about praying for deliverance from the evil one, we need to get serious. That's why Jesus tells us this prayer before we sing our final song I want to invite you to stand with me and pray the Lord's prayer and let's take it out of here as a pattern for our prayer lives this week okay our father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven